Today, what we're doing is we're beginning a new series, Serving That Changes Everything. And in it, there's four areas that we're going to look at each week. Uh, and the first being the truth of who we serve. And that knowing who you serve makes a difference. And then uh, next week, we're going to talk about the love of serving, why we serve, making a difference. And then on the third Sunday, we're going to be talking about the light of serving and how we serve can really make an impact on the world around us. And then the last week, the life of serving. Are you seeing a pattern there? Uh, following the, the names of our teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, with life of serving, when we serve, uh, when we serve uh, in everyday life, how it can change everything. So those are the four ways that we're going to be looking at that. And uh, today, again, starting with the truth of who we serve. Now, uh, there's a little, there was a little logo thing that Nate did for us, and, and he's got this little waiter dude, and or, or, I guess it could be a waitress dude, dudette. Uh, but it, anyway, uh, it made me think, uh, how many of you have ever uh, served as a waiter or waitress before, have done that kind of work? It is hard work, isn't it? Now, uh, now there's some, maybe some of the younger people that don't know this who haven't done uh, any kind of food service industry, but when you work as a waiter or waitress, they don't give you minimum wage. They give you below minimum wage because they expect that your tips are going to exceed it. And so a lot of times you don't get a minimum wage. I don't know if that's changed. Uh, no, nope, still hasn't. All right. So when you don't tip a waiter or waitress, that means they are getting less than minimum wage. They are losing money by working that job. And so... Uh, I know, though, that it's really interesting. Uh, In God's kingdom, people who serve, people who wait on others are honored. In God's kingdom, people who serve are lifted up. They are, they're they're the last, but they become first. And, but in our world, people who serve are sometimes treated very poorly. And so I, I wanted to show just a little bit of a negative example here. Uh, and, and I want to do this as a warning, uh, a little bit of a warning, that we're not going to do this kind of thing, right? And so I, I want to do the top 10 meanest, meanest tips, uh, meanest ways to tip. And uh, we'll start with uh, num- number 10 here. And uh, on this card, uh, blaming the government, on this card it says, as a direct result of Obama's something or other, my fair share of taxes, I, I find that I must cut back on spending and gratuities. I wish it didn't have to be this way for the both of us. What a loser. Um, blaming the government for your own stinginess. So what we got to do on each of these is, is can, you go, can you do a boo? Boo. Yeah, can you do a hiss? Yeah, you can do that too, all right? All right, because there's some really nasty ones coming up. All right, number nine. Making up a one-cent difference is cruel. Boo! Number eight. Making promises you can't keep. What the guy wrote is, one day I'll be rich and tip you a something load. Promise. Boo! Hiss! Yeah. Leaving anything other than cash is unkind. Leaving your little gospel track, that is the worst thing thing you could ever do. Do not do that, people. Boo! Oh, six. Leaving a pile of coppers is nasty. Hiss. Boo. 
Number five, personal low blows are uncalled for. You know what it says there? You could stand to lose a few pounds. And no tip. Boo. That is mean. That is mean. Number four, there's no need for being an all-out jerk. You know what it says there? Get a real job. Boo. Hiss. Ooh. Number three, negative tips are not real. This guy writes minus 220. Actually takes it off his, his meal total. He's getting a discount even from his meal. Man. Boo. Hiss. All right. And here's a really bad one. Being self-important is ugly. What the guy writes, I make more than you do. My time is worth more than yours. Boo. That is really... I mean, can you think of someone who's thinking that way and what they're thinking of someone else? And they, they have really got a high and mighty view of themselves. That is nasty. Number one mean way to tip. Not even God can get you out of tipping. It says, I give God 10%. Why do you get 18%? Wow. Boo. 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 All right. No, none of you have ever done that before, right? Right. Right. Smile. Ding. No. And if you have, you're never going to do it again, right? Because we are going to do kingdom culture. We're going to do God's way he does things. And he honors those who serve. All right? Now, I know that uh, in talking about serving, that we want to look at what God says about it. And so we're going to look at what it says in God's word in the scriptures. Uh, and, and part of what we're going to do here at the beginning is we're going to get in the head of the Israelite. We're going to get in the head of the Israelite. This is one of the first people, Hebrew people, the Jews, that God introduced himself to. All right? And, and so we want to do this. So I want to look at a verse that God wrote to the people that he chose, the Jewish people, uh, Hebrew people, and what he said to them when they first began to follow him. He says this in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. This is uh, words written by Moses. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Now, God says, serve me. Now we go a little further in the story. God works through his Jewish people, brings the Savior through the Jewish people. Uh, the Savior rises from the dead, convinces people like Paul, who, who, don't even, who oppose the Christian faith, but then believe and begin preaching the Christian faith. And then Paul says this in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So there's just a little, little bit of a moment here where I'm going, okay, God says, serve me. But then he says, I don't really need you to serve me because I got it all. I'm God. I don't need anything. So we have a God who doesn't need our help doesn't need our service, but ask for it anyway. So who is this God? Who is this God who doesn't need us, 
but wants us. Well, let's get in the head of an Israelite. Let's, let's uh, pretend like we're all Jewish today, all right? And, uh, and with that, know that uh, God first introduces himself as creator God. And so if you're a Jewish person, if you're a Hebrew person, you know that God is the creator God. He's not just a, uh, one of these like Greek gods in a pantheon that get into fights and say, your brother cheated mine and now I'm going to beat you up. It's, it's not that kind. He is creator God, made everything. And so one of the things that in the story of creation that's told to all Hebrew people is the story of Adam and Eve. And in the story of Adam and Eve, it's told that God created man and woman in his image. Yes, as male and female, he created them. In his own image, he created them. So if you're a Hebrew person, you're thinking, creator God, I'm made in his image. God who made everything, he is a producer. He's a maker. He, he, he speaks and something comes out of nothing. Something comes into existence. And so if we're made in his image, then we're also made to be, well, we can't do make things out of nothing, but we are called to be producers, creators, makers. We're called to, to do in this way, not just to be consumers. So this is, this is a thought in a Jewish, in a Hebrew, Hebrew mind, okay? All right, now move a little further along with, with the Israelites, all right? And the first Hebrew person, first Jewish person ever is Abram, a guy named Abram. You see, before this time, it was just Adam and Eve that make a bunch of people, and then there's a flood, and then they make some more people, and generation, 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 and people speak in different languages all over the globe, and then God says, I'm ready to do something special now. I'm ready to call out a people that's my own, and I'm going to bring the Savior through this people. And so he calls a man named Abram. He's a Chaldean, but now he is God's man, God's guy, and he calls him to, to go to a place he'd never been to and to leave his family. So Abraham is called the father of faith because he's the first one to really trust God and to trust him in a great measure because no one had ever heard of, of, of God up to this point. I mean, there's, there's some stories and myths about creator God, but, but there's like, who is this God? And he hasn't introduced himself, but he introduces himself first to Abram and Abram follows, and he's called by God, friend. Because of his faith and his trust, he's called the friend of God. And then in a Hebrew mind, here's an interesting story that happens with Abram, is, is this guy who's called the friend of God, who walks by faith and trust, he's asked to sacrifice the one thing that he loves and cherishes most. And if, if some of you might know that story, what, what is the one thing that God asked him to sacrifice, his most loved and cherished thing? What is it? His son, Isaac. Yeah. And, uh, and at the last minute, God provides uh, a ram, a lamb for the sacrifice instead of the son. But it's this strange thing that just doesn't make sense, even to a Hebrew mind. Why would God ask this? Not until about... 2,500 years later, when there is God the Father sending his son, sacrificing his most cherished possession, his one and only, for the sins of the world. Now, again, Hebrew mind doesn't know this yet, but go on to the next portion of the story, and what happens? How does God introduce himself? Does God, who 
doesn't need us, but asks us to serve us. What does he do? Well, there's all these people, Hebrew people, descendants of Abraham. They leave the Holy Land, the lands of Israel and Jordan. They go down to Egypt because there's a famine. And while they're there, they stay there a long time, nearly 400 years. And while they're there, they multiply. There's over a million of them there in, in the land of Egypt. And bad things have happened. They've been treated and mistreated to the point where they have been enslaved. And they are slaves in Egypt. They keep Egypt going. They keep the food, the crops, the households, the businesses all going. They do all the work. The Egyptians sit back and they just let the Hebrew people do the work. Now, in this moment, God really introduces himself. The God of Abraham comes and what does he do? He delivers them out of slavery, taking them through the Red Sea, the big escape. The Egyptians are coming after them and as they come against them, God makes this cloud of, and a pillar of fire, holds the Egyptians' backs, parts the Red Sea, they go through the Red Sea, and then he lets the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire disappear, the Egyptians go through the Red Sea, the Red Sea covers them up, and here is the song that the Israelites sing about this big event that happened, big, God's big rescue. Here's what they say about this God, who is creator God. He says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working in wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them, meaning the Egyptians. And in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Redeemed meaning something that has no worth, God gives worth to. These people that were mistreated and abused, God says, no, you are worthy of more than that. I am going to pull you out of that. He gives them worth. They are redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. This is what is described of the God who doesn't need us but wants us to serve him. He is majestic in holiness. He's awesome in glory. He is a wonder worker. He is powerful. He is constant in love. He's seeing their worthlessness, but giving them worth instead, redeeming them. And by these things, by his strength, by his constant love, and his redemptive view of them, this God is leading them to his holy dwelling. Now, after more generations, the Hebrew people have God intervene at different times, rescuing them. And this view of God continues. Psalm 113. The generations that followed said this about him. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. So this God who calls the Israelites to worship, to serve him, doesn't sound like he needs their help, does he? Doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he's doing all the work for them, doesn't it? Sounds like God is doing all the helping and all the serving. I mean, he's the one rescuing, redeeming. In fact, it sounds like he adores these people, though they have done nothing to deserve his adoration. They haven't attained any kind of great station in life. As a nation, they're not in any kind of prominence in the world. In fact, they're the lowliest nation. So they haven't done anything for God, yet God continues to do for them and say, I love you, I adore you, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to give you worth. 
And you know what? The Israelites have a hard time getting this. They have a hard time understanding this God. They, they keep wanting to say, we want to do things like the rest of the world around us. We want to do things like the rest of the world. The rest of the world, you know how they operate? They say this, if we do this, this, and this, then God will accept us. So we want to do that too. We want to do this, this, this. We want to do a list of things and then, then you'll accept us, right? God's like, no, 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 no. Look, I accepted you. I chose you. I pulled you out. I redeemed you. I gave you worth. I accept you. I made you mine. So instead say, because God accepts us, I will follow him. I will serve him. You know, that word serve is kind of tricky. Um, it's really connected with the word worship. Uh, there's two different words. There's one that's Hebrew. There's one that's Greek. And, and uh, in, in the, uh, Greek, it's uh, like in Romans, uh, Romans 12.1, where it says, uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, for this is your spiritual worship. Uh, it's really spiritual service. Uh, another part in the New Testament where this word worship or serve is, uh, you know, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, uh, he was tempted. The devil says, hey, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the powers of the earth. And Jesus says, I won't do it. Well, that word bow down and worship is really, if you'll bow down and serve me. To serve is to worship. To worship is to serve. The Israelites had a hard time understanding this. They had a hard time. But Jesus came and deconstructed this whole misguided view that we do a list of things and then he'll accept us. And Jesus came to deconstruct that view, to destroy it. God came in flesh, the Son full of grace and truth. And when he came, there were two big reasons Jesus said as to why he came. I have come to serve, not be served. And I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. The Lord had to serve you and I because our service, our worship, our actions are not acceptable to God on their own until he gave his life for us. When the ransom was paid for us, if it's been paid for you, then we are accepted. And our actions, our worship, and our service is also accepted. The big thing that God has done in Christ, it's called mercy. He's rescued us from punishment. Punishment for our own sins. He's given us forgiveness of our wrongdoings. He's also given us not only mercy, but he's given us grace, an undeserved gift Life. Life. And in that, he deconstructed this thing of, I'm going to do, do, do. I'm going to do my list of serving. You see, guys, there's no amount of serving that will ever make you acceptable before God. Only, you're only accepted in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, his service, his work. But let me tell you something. Jesus just didn't come to deconstruct that, but he also came to reconstruct it. Here's how he reconstructed. Here's the reconstruction. Grace activates us. When we receive that life, 
that gift that we don't deserve, and when it comes into us, that is something that has never existed before. Ephesians 2 says that our spirits are dead. On the inside, we're dead. And so the the new has come, the old is gone. And when that new has come into our life, that's something that has never existed before, there is a new compelling. Grace activates. Christ's love compels us. Here it is, 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, when Jesus' life intersects ours, grace activates our hearts. Selfish living is left behind, and we begin to live beyond ourselves. So how do you live like that? If the new has come, the old is gone, you've accepted that undeserved gift of grace and it's activating your heart. How do you serve this one who died for you? How do you worship, serve the one who doesn't need human hands to help him? Well, Jesus explains it to us. It's in Matthew 25 starting with verses 34. It's, it's one of three stories that he tells. These three stories are all about that there's going to be an end and that he's going to call everybody into account and he's going to do some sorting of people and judging of people. And here it is in the third story of the sheep and the goats. And he says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the kingdom will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, you want to serve the one who doesn't need help? You want to give your service to him? Then how about you take care of that guy who's sick? How about you look after that woman who needs some clothing? How about you help that stranger, that newcomer who feels on the outside and help them come on the inside? Jesus says that when you serve others, you're serving him. So who are we serving? Who are we serving? The truth of who we serve, it makes a difference. Listen to Paul, the one who opposed the Christian faith but then became a Christ follower, and how he thought of who he was serving. It's in Ephesians 6. Uh, verses 5 through 8. Put it up here on the screens. It says this, Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as if serving the Lord. Servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. What do we hear again? If you want to serve the one who doesn't need your help, serve others. How's that going at your workplace? How are you serving the Lord there? 
Did you know that you could worship not just on a Sunday, but your worship can go with you to the workplace with your work? Because to serve is to worship. To worship is to serve. And really, you're not serving your employer or your boss. You're serving God himself. That's what Paul says. In Galatians 5.13, to another group of Christ followers, don't use your freedom to indulge yourself, but instead serve one another. So the God who does not need us to serve him, ask us to serve him by serving others. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. It's a little tricky, though. See, if you skip the cross of Jesus, skip trusting him, you're going to get broken on trying to serve others. You know, those of you who've done waiting on tables before, you know what I mean. It's hard to serve other people. You know, the test of a true servant is when you're treated like a servant. And sometimes, again, this world doesn't treat servants very well, does it? And so if you're going to serve others, you have to have a compelling that's more than just a warm feeling. You're going to have to have a compelling that comes from Christ himself. You're going to have to be compelled by Jesus himself if you're going to serve others to serve him. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what's got to happen if we're going to serve others and do it well and not with fickleness. Guys, I really want this church to learn how to serve our city, but I don't want to do it in a fickle way. I don't want us to have a good feeling one Sunday and we say, hey, we're not going to meet. We're going to go out and serve in the city. And we arrange a bunch of places where we go serve and we all feel good, but then we don't ever do it again. We just can't have that. Our city doesn't need to see that. The city has seen enough of off and on Christianity, churchianity. We've got to give them consistent, a consistent light so they can consistently see the truth. And I believe that we can be that. But we've got to figure out how to serve right here. We're so fickle, we can't even do it here in our own body. Guys, does Christ live in you? Have you been crucified with Christ? Can you point to a day and say, that was the day I was crucified with Christ? I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Are you living by faith, serving by faith in the Son of God? Does God call you friend like he calls Abraham? Do you walk in trust with him? You know, you can choose a whole lot of other things to serve a whole lot of other people to serve, but I want to call you to serve the Creator God. The God, man, Jesus Christ, the one who can live within you. When you're compelled by His love, when you're compelled by Him, He is the engine within. You can keep going. It won't bother you. Nasty tips, nasty messages, people treating you like a low-down, dirty servant. It won't matter because you're not serving them. You're really serving your creator. You're serving your master, your savior, the one who redeemed you. 
And it doesn't matter how dirty the job is. It doesn't matter how long you've got to do it. It doesn't matter how early you've got to get up or how late you've got to stay to finish it. Because you're doing it for Him and nobody else. When that's your compelling, there's nothing that can stop you. And that's what the world needs to see. Some people that can't be stopped. And they can't be stopped serving. They're not serving themselves, but they have the attitude and mind of Jesus Christ. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Today, as the band comes up, I want to echo the words of Joshua. One of those early Hebrew people, one of those descendants of the father of faith, Abraham. As he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the land that God had given them and promised them. He told this to the people after he led them in and said, hey, there's still more work to do. There's still more land to take. But he said this, it ain't going to happen unless the, God, unless the creator God is your God. The God of Abraham is your God. The one who de- delivered us through the Red Sea. If he is your God, you can do this. But if not, if you want to serve other things, then go do it. Go do it. We're not going to do this in-between stuff anymore. Joshua said. He said, make up your mind. Stop wavering between two opinions. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. I suppose in our Western culture, a lot of times that choice is, am I going to serve myself? Or am I going to serve the Lord? Real simple. And I just say, don't waver between it any longer. You've been crucified with Christ. He compels you. He's your engine living within you and you're serving him, not yourself any longer. You've given that up. It's been crucified. It's dead. It's gone. Now, for those of you who have always, have already made that choice, you know the day that you were crucified and he is within you, compelling you. You know what? You still get to answer the question, who are you going to serve? Because Jesus says, Look, guys, I don't need anything. I'm the Lord God. But you know what? I got some people who do need some things. They do need some help. I'll tell you about some of them. Sick, prison, lonely. See, you get to choose among them. Who are you going to serve? It's an adventure that Jesus is calling you on. And we got the opportunity to do it. But it starts here. And we can start being faithful here so we can give a faithful message out there. My dream is that the teams that we have on Sundays here, one day, it only takes about 12 people to do it. Set up in the morning, 12 people in the afternoon to clean up. That's all it takes. But if we have more than that, what I really hope and I really will see is that when there's more than that, we can send five people down to the fire station, feed those guys some breakfast. We can send another five down to the women's children's shelter, read some stories, bring some cookies and milk. We can send some people to the hospital to go and visit some of the people who are sick, who don't have anybody visiting them, nobody to pray for them. We can go all kinds of places in this city and be the light of Christ, bringing color to this world, bringing bringing flavor to this earth. And we can do it through our worship, our service. Jesus says... If you want to serve me, serve others. Let's do it, guys. Let's do it. Let's not play around any longer, okay? We're going to stand and sing. 
we're going to go into a time like we always do with communion. But I, I want you to know, back there at the information booth, there's some sign-up little things. I want to see some people sign up and say, I want, I want to help on a Sunday. And I hope that it won't be just in this building. I hope that when I sign up for this, it will be soon that I'll be going out and joining others serving people in our city. All right? Stand with me. Lord Jesus, in these next few moments, you're the center. You're the object of it all. Our worship. We want to give you words of adoration and glory and worth. But Lord, we want our worship to go beyond this moment. We want to serve with all our being. Lord, we know that you don't need our help. But you ask us to serve you anyway. Lord, show us who we're to serve. Help us to see the people around us. Help us to see right here in this place as you call us to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.